growing green to generate more green. Welcome to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. Each week we plant the conversational seeds about cultivation and the changing climate of cannabis culture. We'll peel back the layers of benefits of the world's most versatile plant, from food to fuel, from remedy to resource. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents The Grow Show with your host, multi-award-winning grow master and respected cannabis consultant, Kyle Cushman. Hello and welcome all you sneak-a-toke, crack-a-joke, pass-me-that-joint partiers. This is The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com, and I am your host, Kyle Cushman. Today we farm. If the man affectionately referred to as Farmer Tom Lowerman were to have a battle cry, that would be it. Today we get to farm. This is a shining example of who we want to lead the cannabis culture into the future. Tom's relationship with cannabis began in sunny San Diego. His very active lifestyle, which included surfing, skateboarding, and downhill mountain bike racing, naturally caused him to sustain a few bumps and bruises along the way. Cannabis was his go-to to get back up and running. Life was good, and then things changed. Like many of us growers in the industry, Farmer Tom experienced the sting of being a cannabis cultivator during the so-called War on Drugs. His collective was raided in 99, and he was busted for growing well over 400 pot plants. I'm happy to say that that was then and this is now. As legalization pushes forward, so does Farmer Tom. Now a legal organic grower in the great state of Washington, founder of Farmer Tom's Collective and Terp Works, Tom prides himself on being both an activist and an educator. He is all about the legalization and normalization of the cannabis plant. He speaks several times a year at industry events, where I met him, and educates on cultivation panels, and has even taken his message to the local news. Tom's passion for education has even led to a groundbreaking relationship with a federal agency. Working with the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, Tom helped give the feds an inside look at how a real-world grow works so that the rules to protect workers can be established in this budding industry. Today, we're talking with Farmer Tom about some of the many social and industrial changes that are headed our way as legalization becomes a reality. And maybe we'll talk a little cultivation, too. Welcome to The Grow Show, Farmer Tom. Hey, thanks, Kyle, for having me, bud. This is great. I'm so happy to have you here. You know, we're new to each other. We just met down in San Diego at the Canagro Expo last weekend, which was a great time. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. oh, it was epic. It was a great show. You know, let's dive right into some politics. We here at the Grow Show are still feeling the burn. Could you have ever imagined that we would be experiencing such a progression in cannabis law reform in our lifetimes? No, I never imagined it. I kind of ventured around through all the different scenes growing up in Southern California, the skateboarding scene, the surfing scene, the Hollywood scene, and I really could never find what I was looking for. And But cannabis was always at the center of all of those things. And it wasn't until, you know, when I met my wife and got arrested at the collective that I knew that I was in the right direction and uh, this was my mission. That's awesome. So uh, we have a very symbiotic mission in life, you and I. That's for sure, Carl, man. For sure. Cannabis is and always will be the passion of my life. Yeah, man. You know, I, I want to live like you. I, I checked out your, your videos and your farm. You look like you have a wonderful life carving out for yourself up there in Oregon. Yeah, well, and, well actually, my wife saved my life in the raid in San Diego in 99. She was part of the first uh, collective garden there with Steve McWilliams up in Valley Center, north of San Diego. And she rescued me that day and saved my life. She was so spot on when the cops showed up. She... You know, she walked her two laundry baskets full of trim that she was going to use to make butter and past the past the cops. And then she grabbed her cordless phone and her media list like 
any good activist would do in the 90s. And she's been an integral part of my life and an integral part of me moving forward in the cannabis movement. You know, we, we visualized a farm like this many years ago when we got together in San Diego. And uh, it's nice to see you come full circle. Yeah, man. You know what they say, behind every great man is a great woman. So, oh, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you actually got to work with the feds. They stayed with you for a whole week to visit and yeah. study with you. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, it started about a year ago in, in March when I got a telephone call from the union. Some kid blew himself up in a BHO explosion in New Mexico, Ooh. and it was a state-sanctioned facility. So OSHA got involved, and OSHA called union, the union because they knew that the union had, you know, been working in the cannabis industry, and they called me, and they asked me to introduce them to a JD from Skunk Farm Research. He's mm-hmm. kind of the guy who wrote all of the Bibles on hydrocarbons and all the different extraction processes. Ah. So I took him over there and introduced them to him. And he's now an advisory for the federal government on hydrocarbons and uh, uh, the extraction processes. Once we got after the, the introduction to uh, JD from Skunk Farms, the lady from the union, she told me that the government got some grant money to do some work on uh, initial work on workplace health and safety in the cannabis industry. I'd already worked with the union on a workplace health and safety manual for the state of Washington, and and I'm kind of familiar with that kind of stuff, and I really think that worker safety is a a big step in the right direction in this movement, and it's a great way to get the federal government involved. Um, That's how they, so that was the way they got involved through workplace health and safety. I had met, met them, like I told you, through this, you know, introduction, and they really liked Paul and I's farm and our attitude and that we were small, hardworking farmers. We didn't only just grow cannabis, but we grow vegetables. I have a a vegetable CSA where we, you know, do a U-Pick CSA all during the summer. And and in the years past, we ran a cannabis CSA too. So uh, back onto the federal thing, I got into a phone call in June last year. Mm-hmm. And they on with 10 agents from the CDC, and they knew nothing about cannabis at all. So I invited them out to come out the week of Hemp Fest and take a tour with me through Oregon and Washington. We were going to go to Sub-Zero, and we were going to go to Eaton Labs, and I was going to take them to different extraction facilities and possibly a couple of grows to kind of get them introduced to the community and see how, the, how cannabis and the industry is working right now. They got back to me. They said that was great originally. They got back to me and said we can't have our agents trace me across state lines to to what could be perceived as illegal operations. But what we can do is we can make your uh, farm a secure location in the eyes of the federal government. That means agents can come, learn, touch, handle, and be around cannabis. And the only other place where that's allowed is University of Mississippi and is right now our farm. Wow. So is this is yeah. this an ongoing is this an ongoing collaboration? Or are they still sending people out to learn? Well, I got an email from James Couch today from the CDC. You know, he's keeping me updated on the progress of the health hazard evaluation. And you know, we look to be doing. You know, the University of Washington State has reached out to me, and they're looking to collaborate on some scientific research. So, and I'm more than more than happy to help them along there. When the CDC NIOSH came to the farm. For the actual health hazard evaluation in uh, October, we spent three days with them. And the first day we did it all harvesting. So we harvested 10 plants from top to bottom. My idea was I wanted to give them as much data as to work with possible. So each day was its own separate thing. So the first day was harvesting. The second day we shucked and de-stemmed all the buds. 
the third day we did trimming where they had us hooked up to like an ergonomic glove that tracks repetitive motion. And then we had like eight trimmers go through and give them like a half hour, 45 minutes apiece so they could actually have some really good hard data. You know that you're kind of describing a dream of mine that I've always had. If I got pulled over on the side of the road for speeding in California and the cop would end up smelling some marijuana in my car, which wasn't really a big deal, but it would start a conversation. And I would always end up, after being browbeaten a little bit over it, I would be like, would you like to come to my house? I'll educate it on it. I'll take you. And one of the officers once said, who knew me pretty well, he said, you know, if I came to your house, I'd have to be tested for drugs. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so well literally the agents were they, they knew they were going to get tested when they went back to ohio so it was pretty interesting that's fantastic it seems like you know that they were pretty receptive and you got a really good thing going on there hey you know we're already through our first session it's always 420 somewhere so we're going to take a quick break to show our sponsors some grow show love sit back relax and we'll be back before you can polish off that bowl the grow show with kyle cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really One Toke Over the Line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hem Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello and welcome back to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. We are talking with Farmer Tom Lowerman. And what I'd like to get into right now is, you know, the industry is moving forward at a very fast pace. And I think you'd agree with me that we're all pretty happy about that. The one thing that is really starting to trouble me is without down putting the fact that commercialization is coming because I think it's inevitable and I think it'll also provide positive benefits. But 
all of the effort and all of the resources that we're spending writing legislation so that people can grow football field-sized warehouses and make millions of dollars. And again, it's not about the money. I'm not trying to harsh on people making money. You know, I'm into democracy and capitalism as well. But I'm afraid of the culture, Tom. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of losing the culture. And what I mean by that is if all we are going to allow a person to grow six plants, but the factories can grow millions of plants, what's going to happen to the breeding and all of these thousands of wonderful medicinal strains that people like you and I and all the hundreds and tens of thousands of growers have brought to light over the last four decades? What's going to happen? Well, you know, I'm, I'm here in Florida right now, one of the biggest cannabis conventions in the country, and definitely the corporations are moving over. And I'm just like you, Carl. I'm totally for, you know, bringing in the business people and bringing in the minds and bringing in the corporate structure. But we really have to be sensitive to the guys who brought us the show, the small heritage farmers who have been doing this over for years and years and years and years. And it would be really a travesty if we took all their rights away. What I'm hearing in Washington right now is they kind of want us to go on, well, you guys have been in the gray area for a bunch of years. Go back into the gray area. Well, the gray area is kind of scary, and you never know when the cops are going to show up on the door. But the, the other thing they're telling me is, look, it's and I'm looking at it too, it's really hard to get a conviction out there these days on mm-hmm. anything over like 50 or 100 plants. They're not, you know, most DAs won't even go after that, that small of plants, especially on the West Coast. So uh, the corporatization and the, the structure of our community that brought us to the fruition to get us to this point, it's really sad, you know. And I'm really super honored that the union picked me and gave us the opportunity to let us be the first visualization or the first interaction with any kind of uh, cannabis farmer out there. You know, we really tried to make normalized cannabis there. When, they, when we had them on the farm, we literally, you know, we did a couple dabs and we smoked some joints and we smoked weed around them all day long because we, sure. if, if this is the first time we're going to get a crack at these guys, we want to make sure that their perception is that you do two dabs and you smoke three joints, you're drooling in the corner. We stood up and said, now we're ready to educate you. It's all about making the right steps. So I'm, I'm pretty confident right now that James Couch and his team, their myth of cannabis being this narcotic type like in the corner laying opium den type stuff is, is kind of vanished, you know, over the five days we spent with them, everything went smooth. We were engaged in the conversation and right on topic. And it was pretty amazing. You know, I think that's really important. I think one of the big disconnects for people is accepting the fact that cannabis has always and always will be a self-administered recreational substance. And it's kind of hard to put that together because the only other socially acceptable recreational drug is alcohol. And alcohol has no medicinal qualities. So now we're trying to show them that there is this amazing medicine that also qualifies as a recreational substance. And I think that's a big disconnect for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. You know, and the pharmaceutical companies, they're really shaking in their boots. You know, and I think it's the the original intent why cannabis was was legalized in the first place is because they can't synthesize it. They can't take THC or CBD and alone those things effective. We need the whole endocannabinoid spectrum, you know, those 82 different cannabinoids. And I know there's more, but 
those are the kind of base ones we've been rolling with for the last few years. You need every part of that wheel to make this plant what it is and what it has the potential to be. So we'll never be able to synthesize it. That's why they're fighting so hard right now, you know, to hold on to the, the pharmaceutical way. And if we look at the pharmaceutical company and if you look at the stats that are coming out, like, right, we overprescribe painkillers and opiates by a huge amount. I just saw some study today that we're 5% of the world's population, but we use between 80 and 85% of the world's opiates right. yeah, in I've the heard United 70... States alone. Absolutely. You know, you're in a bit of an influential position, and I'd like to share some thoughts that I've just recently developed. And I don't know how crazy they are or how improbable they are, but to me, it really seems to make sense, you know. I think that heavily regulating commercial cannabis is a good idea. It has to be done properly and it has to be done sanely. But I think it's a great idea. But you know what? I think that personal cannabis needs no regulation. And let me expand on that for just a moment. And what I mean is if you are growing cannabis that is intended for sale – then you fall under all of the regulations, the testing, the requirements for making sure that this can go out into the public sector and be sold and be transferred between people. But if you are a person who has been growing cannabis for generations, that's been handed down to you from your families and you're providing medicine to your families and or your friends and there's no money being transferred, you know, maybe you're paying your landscaper with it or the guy that gives, brings you your eggs and your milk from his local farm and you trade some of your stuff. I don't understand why the government or anybody needs to regulate how much cannabis I grow in my own home. There's no laws on how much alcohol I can drink in the privacy of my own home, nor are there any laws telling me if I want to spray poison on my tomatoes to get rid of the bugs and then eat those tomatoes. There's no law on that either. So I really wish that we would acknowledge the general safety of this substance by acknowledging its history and let's regulate the commercialization of it and let's leave the personal side of it the fuck alone. I hear you, Carl. I'm in 100%. The other thing that really worries me is the reason, I, I feel the reason that we're actually having this discussion and the reason that we've acknowledged this medical efficacy is because we have thousands of medicinal strains. Why do we have those strains? Because of people like you and me, because of the thousands, the tens of thousands of growers who made growing their passion. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't, it was about the freedom. You know, some people started growing for one reason, because they have a sick relative or sick relatives. And so you're going to say now that I can only grow six plants, and if I grow more than six plants, you're going to put me in jail, but down the street, those people can grow millions of plants for millions of dollars and sell it to people? You get where I'm coming from? Oh, I totally get where you're coming from, Carl. I mean, and that's why I really think they're going to be have a hard time getting convictions on these under 100 plant deals, you know? If Farmer Tom and his wife Paula are growing 45 plants, but the guy down the street has 10,000 plants in his warehouse. How is the general public or somebody on a jury going to convict the person? They're not going to be able to convict him. They won't convict him. You know, they're not, they're not running any huge illegal drug operation. They're not doing international drug smuggling. They're not doing any of this stuff. They're simply living the lifestyle that they prefer, living that the lifestyle choose. that's comfortable. 
yeah, that's comfortable for them. That's the big important thing is we, we need to get the other side to understand that this substance has caused no harm in the history of mankind other than the criminal element that we as men created and put on it. So let's just let people be people and let's regulate businesses, right? Oh, yeah, regulate businesses, tax the heck out of them. You know, and, and between Washington and Colorado in the first 16 months, $200 million in taxes. I mean, that's crazy. And I'm all about the states making taxes, but they should leave the small growers and the small heritage farmers alone. I agree 100%, Carl. Right. Well, you know, we're getting down to the end, and I'd love to keep talking to you forever, but I do want to do Ask Kyle today. So we, obvi- <laughs> we obviously share a passion for educating about growing this incredible plant. You know, where can we expect to see you in the coming months? What, what have you got on your agenda? Well, I'll be speaking at Hemp Fest this year. It looks like I'm going up to Alaska in July. I'll be in New York City for the World Cannabis Conference in June. So I got a pretty busy summer ahead of me. Yeah. What's important for us to do here, Carl, these old-time heritage farmers, is my thing is to show up at as many of these events as possible to make sure the small farmer and the heritage farmer's voice is heard. There is no industry, and a lot of these people don't get it. There is no industry without the people who died, went to jail, died going through court trying to prove that they were sick enough to use this plant is ridiculous. And then for us to be the heritage farmers and the people who brought us the show to be kind of pushed aside and said, look, we're the corporate world. We're going to show you how to do it is ridiculous. So it's guys like us that need to keep on showing up and making sure the small farmer has life in this industry, because I think it's all about the small farmer with 50,000 growers in the state of California if they regulate it in such a way so that the small farmers out of the game, there's going to be, there could be some sort of a revolution out here. And I think it's a good thing. You know, it's kind of the Bernie Sanders thing. And I think everybody's going to stand behind it. You know, I'm all about fair trade in cannabis. You know, I think there should be a fair trade stamp on there. Like there is chocolate and coffee and all these other things. So small farmers get paid the amount they're supposed to get paid. When the LCB first came to us in Washington State three, four years ago, they came to the medical marijuana farmers markets that we've been doing up there for years, and they asked us, what do you guys need to make a living off growing cannabis? And we said $5 a gram would be great, but $3 a gram would work. So in the state of Washington, the growers are getting between 50 cents and a dollar now, and there's all these Walmart plays out there. There's all these guys out there. They have a four- or five-year plan. They're going to sell their weed no matter what for 50 cents a dollar a gram and pretty much we push all the small farmers and all the small guys out of the industry. Now, we really have to stand up for that. And I don't think that's the direction of the millennials or any progressive people in this country. We can have it go in this direction and we really have to save the small farmer. So my mission has always been small farmer, small farmer, small farmer, because, you know, <laughs> without the small farmers, we're not eating and we're not growing clean cannabis. I'm with you, you, Tom, all the way, man. My thing has always been to help normalize cannabis use and along the way help to legalize it and try to make sure that the little guy can just pay his bills and keep their farm and keep their family safe. And I love your mantra, today we get to farm. And hopefully someday that can just be uh, the mantra of our whole community. We are running out of time in this segment, but Farmer Tom's going to stay with us for Ask Kyle. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman will return once we cultivate through this short commercial break. 
Never hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after-party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton and be a part of Oregon's fastest-growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News, presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show, or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Time to plant some more conversational seeds. You're listening to The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Grow Show on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for our final segment we call Ask Kyle, where we take questions from our listeners. And luckily today, we've got Farmer Tom sticking in with us for this. So let's see what kind of questions we got today. From Jonathan R., is there anywhere I can get seeds of any of the strains you have created? I know you can get strawberry cough from one of the European companies. I'm just a little hesitant to order before I'm 100% sure it's the real thing in seed. Well, Jonathan... I hate to break the news to you, but strawberry cough has always and will always be a clone-only strain. So luckily for you, I've disseminated strawberry cough thousands of times over many, many states. And you should be able to put your feelers out and hopefully find yourself a strawberry cough clone. As far as seeds, I'd like to know, Tom, do you have any recommendations of where people can get quality cannabis seeds? Homegrown Natural Wonders. It's my friend, Odie Diesel. He's out of Oregon, and those guys yes. create some really fine seeds down there. Yes, great recommendation. And do you know of a website or anything by any chance? Yeah, it's homegrownnaturalwonders.com, I think. Yeah, rock and roll. Cool. Next question from Brett K. When growing long flowering sativas, how best is it to judge the unique nutritional requirements of these strains, such as low EC levels and low levels of nitrogen? Want to take that one, Tom? No, I'll pass that one off to you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that I don't agree that long flowering sativas appreciate low EC or low nutrient levels. I personally find that the nutrition levels are linked to the potency of the marijuana. And when I grow a strain that is extremely high in THC, like the strawberry cough, I find that it feeds a lot. And I have to feed nitrogen through the fourth or fifth week of flowering. Wow. And I don't know, have you ever found that correlation that strains that are extremely potent are also extremely hungry? 
they're hungry, really potent strains. I'm feeding them, you know, definitely up into the second week of flowering for sure. Yes, I agree with that. From Brett S., what do you think about LED technology? How far has it come and how far has it to go? And the future implications that it has on growing. What do you think are the necessary spectrums for LED light to possess most beneficial to cannabis? Brett, I don't have a lot of experience with LEDs, but this question comes up every single week. And no wonder because the savings on electricity, you know, Tom, I'm almost a strictly indoor grower and I, you, I believe, are almost strictly yeah pretty much yeah we do yeah we do a regular season like an agricultural season we do one crop a year but i've got some information on uh, on leds i'm getting some feedback out there that the leds are really good at keeping your plant shorter done any comparison testing between metal halide and leds the leds keep the plant squattier and shorter which i think is a benefit in the long run especially with these new commercial grows that are going out there these guys are trying to grow you know just 20 20 inch plants i think the leds could definitely uh, add to you know you got to have some good red colors in there and but i definitely think leds are a way of the future for sure Yeah, I like the newest ones are coming out with adjustable spectrums, either several settings for grow and bloom, or some of them just simply have rheostats for the white, the red, and the purple. And you can actually tune it in yourself. It may sound a little bewildering, but it's, I think it's useful to have those rheostats to be able to, to set the spectrum for yourself. Oh, yeah. And then every plant probably takes a little bit different spectrum. So it'd be really fun for your home grower to to play around with those things for sure. You know, I mean, we can get some really good data from these guys, I believe. I believe so, too. And definitely we haven't reached the peak of lighting technology. We're still using the same type of technology that is used for parking lots and stadiums and such like that. So I think yeah. LEDs have come a long way. Yeah, I mean... I'm- Personally, I think at the end of the day, everything's going to go to greenhouse with supplemental lighting and heating. You know, the energy footprint that these integrals are using are really kind of harsh on our on our grid, you know. And when these football stadium-sized indoor grows pop up, like in Vegas, I heard they shut down two huge grows in Vegas because they were endangering the uses of too much energy near hospitals in the area. My thing is, I'm, you know, I'm an outdoor grower, and I love greenhouses, and I, I think they're the way of the future. I don't think there's anything quite like the natural sun. I agree 100%, and I am envious of you and your lifestyle. I would love to be able to grow outdoors. From Jerry W., do you have suggestions for keeping humidity levels normal when lights go out? I'm growing in a 4x4 tent with 600-watt HPS. I run in a fan exhaust running while the lights are on. Oscillating fan stays on 24-7, and exhaust turns off when lights do. Is simply running the exhaust fan while lights off enough, or do I need a dehumidifier? I bought a couple of moisture absorbers from the store and trying something out before I invest some more money. You know, humidity at night is a very important thing to keep control of. I always say buy an appliance larger than the size you think you need, and I do think that you should have a dehumidifier in there at night. You don't want your humidity rising into the 50s, 60s, 70%. You really want to keep it closer to the 40% range indoors to keep your uh, buds from getting any bud mold. Right, Tom? I agree 100%. Uh, Dehumidifiers are key in the industry, especially up in the Pacific Northwest where I'm from. Well, Tom, we unfortunately are out of time, and I want to thank our guests and producers for making the show possible. 
could you give out a website or an email if people want to get in touch with you and uh, send you a message? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Kyle, for having me on. Yeah, you can find me at FarmerTomOrganics.com, and my email address is LuckyFarmerTom at Gmail, and you can find me at social media at FarmerTomLowerman on Instagram and Facebook. That's great, man. I can't wait to run into you again. Me too, buddy. It was, it was awesome. I can't wait to spend some time with you. Are you up in the Portland area ever? Where are you guys located out of? Well, I'm in L.A., but the next time I'm going to see you is probably going to be Hempfest. We're going to be out there for five days, so we'll, we'll have a good time out there. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And maybe you can stop by the farm on your way up. I don't know if you guys are driving up or flying up or, you know, if you're ever in the Portland-Vancouver area, you're more than welcome to come on over and hang out. We yeah, will make man. that happen. Please make sure to check out my website, kylecushman.com, where you can find out where to follow me on social media and the upcoming events that I'll be attending. You can find new episodes of The Grow Show every Wednesday by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Kyle Cushman. Remember that what we do is not as important as why we do it. And as always, please stay lifted. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.